and I think we do need to ask ourselves whose voices are we amplifying and to what ends as well and what do we do when we amplify our voices over people who are actually having those experiences. I know it's sometimes easy to say that podcasting is a very easy thing to do without much technology, but it does actually need technology and you do actually need to have skills. What's at stake in podcasting the urban? Now, there might be more at stake in this question than you first realise. When I was starting out in podcasting, I gave surprisingly little thought to the politics of initiating an urban-focused academic podcast. I was caught up with questions about which microphone to use, who would make a good interviewee, and where to find a quiet room. Better questions might have been, what am I trying to achieve? Who will be involved and why? And what are the ethics and politics of academic podcasting? I'm Dallas Rogers from City Road Podcast, and welcome to this five-part series on Podcasting the Urban, where we turn the academic gaze back onto our own podcasting practice. Podcasting is not just a communication medium. Audio recording offers a unique way of engaging with city spaces. It can produce different types of data that complement written text and visual images. Podcasting can be an engaged research methodology, a research dissemination medium, and a pedagogical teaching tool. But there might be more to microphones, audio recorders, and audio editing suites. And if we accept that podcasting can be many things, then this makes podcasting an act with ethical dimensions. For me, it raises questions about the form and quality of the content I'm putting out into the world. And as you can probably guess, this isn't going to be a celebratory podcast about how great academic podcasters are. Rather, over the last year, City Road organised four public panel discussions to critically interrogate the idea of podcasting the urban, and we audio recorded two of them. And let me tell you, I by no means got let off the hook when it came to critique. What do you mean by it's academic? You know, like that... I, I just, when, are you when, trying to claim something? That, maybe. I'm, I'm yeah. not sure that... I'm not convinced it's academic, yeah. you know? In this episode, the first in our five-part series on podcasting the urban, I'll give you a taste of some of the key themes that were covered in the discussions, and I'll introduce you to the researchers as we go along. And then in the rest of the series, we'll play the two Sydney panel discussions in full, which we recorded in the City Road studio in front of a live audience. Now, if you're listening on the City Road podcast feed, we're only going to play the first episode in this series in this feed. But don't worry, you can find a link to the full Podcasting the Urban series on our website, along with all the author bios and a podcast excerpt playlist. These are all available at cityroadpod.org. You can also find the series on your podcast app. Just search for Podcasting the Urban. Just a quick note about the format of the panel discussions. We ran the panel discussions as live listening events, 
where we played podcast excerpts and then we talked about them. You'll know when we're playing a podcast excerpt when you hear this sound. We start the series with the idea of storytelling itself and a podcast called The Survival Guide by two young Aboriginal radio makers from Sydney, Joel Sherwood Spring and Lorna Munro. Joel is a Wiradjuri man raised between Redfern and Alice Springs. He's a Sydney-based architecture graduate and an interdisciplinary artist working between solo works and the Future Method Studio. Joel is working on a radio project called the Survival Guide, about the redevelopment of Redfern Waterloo in Sydney. Lorna Munro is a proud young Wiradjuri Gamilaroi woman. She's a dynamic writer and poet who also calls Redfern Waterloo her home. She's been strongly influenced by her activist parents and mentored by members of the Black Power Movement, who she affectionately refers to as her aunties and uncles. Lorna is also working on The Survival Guide. We'll also hear from Nicola Joseph, who is a founding member of Radio Skid Row in Sydney and played a key role in establishing the station. Nicola has worked at the ABC as a features and documentary producer and as the executive producer of women's and arts programs. She was also a journalist, executive producer and station manager at SBS Radio. Nicola produced the There Goes the Neighbourhood radio documentary about inner-city gentrification for Radio Skid Row and has been working with Joel and Lorna on The Survival Guide. So let's take a listen to The Survival Guide. That's what we're trying to do here on the show. The Survival Guide is trying to mobilise a narrative that is outside of the normal discourse of, oh, well, you know, gentrification is just cafes, it's just... It's 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 just places being being made a little bit nicer to be in and a little bit little bit more to our taste. But mm. whose taste are those? It's good for you. Don't you want nice new streets and a nice new home? Um, you know, and those kind of things. I start by asking Joel why we need radio like this. Dispossession. Mm. It's unlearning what you were kind of fed when you entered this institution. Um, I mean, we're not. We're not provided with. I'm, I've I've only started my masters here at UCID this semester, so I'm not going to say what I don't know. But I mean, I studied my undergrad at UTS, and I've heard this from a lot of other people in a lot of institutions across Australia, and it's not surprising that we're not given um, any sort of um, information or really a constructive history um, outside of the very like structured Western narrative. And that's like that's I think that we're all very aware that that's how kind of the narrative of history has formed. Um, but there are now lots of people who are making waves and really interesting stuff about kind of what it means to be Indigenous in the city, but what it means to be Indigenous and in practising in ideas of architecture and spatial design in Australia. And there's none of that. And so this is kind of talking to a, par- a part of that. I mean, architecture kind of intersects with everyone's life every day. And that's why I think it's interesting in what we're doing. I mean, Lorna and I kind of got into contact through some of the stuff that was happening down in Waterloo um, last year and some of the programs that we were trying to get off the ground. I mean, there's a lot of other faces here who were a part of that stuff. Um, 
A little later, the conversation shifts onto storytelling, and I ask Lorna about the role of storytelling and poetry in creating narratives about the city. I I think it's just um, a new kind of rebranded version of what our people have been doing here for many, many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years, which is... um, mapping the narratives, um, which is basically what our song lines are. It's, it's um, mapping and connecting each narrative and telling a wider framework and uniting those voices that we're all saying the same thing in slightly different dialects. Um, and when I think about it, I'm always thinking about it within Aboriginal uh, methodologies um, and epistemologies. Um, and I'm always thinking about within language because I'm also an educator as well. Um, so a lot of the stuff that I've been working on is spoken word poetry um, versus published poetry, um, Radjuri language versus English language. How do we get to that point, which actually involves a lot of unlearning, um, which has been mentioned here as well. And a lot of people get caught... Almost from the beginning of our discussion, the conversation settled on the need to present counter-narratives to unlearn what we think we know and to question the epistemologies and methodologies that guide our work. A little later in the discussion, Nicola brings the ideas of counter-narratives, different epistemologies and the role of radio in contesting the city together. Well, I think, you know, as part of the kind of storytelling of the city, I mean, if you just look at the three of us as an example, you know, even okay, we've come together to do this podcast about, and I only came into it because um, my daughter, Hannah, who's the producer, was away and she asked me to fill in for her for a couple of weeks. And after about, I think, the second or third time we met up, I knew Lorna, and I, um, but I didn't really know Joel that well. We, I discovered that I knew their parents, like that they knew both their mothers, and that, in fact, um, their mothers were part of the generation of... I guess, storytellers that came out of Radio Redfern and Radio Skid Row, which we started just two doors down, tell, three tell doors down. That. Tell us about that history. Yeah. Uh, Radio Skid Row. Okay. Um, Radio Skid in, in Row. In five minutes or less. <laughs> in, in, well, I'll try in a very short time. Um, I was um, running a newsroom at 2SER at UTS. We were up on the 26th floor. Nicola outlines the fascinating black histories of community radio stations, Radio Skid Row and 2SER in Sydney, which you can hear in episodes two and three. And she returns a little later to Joel, Lorna and Hannah. So for me to, to watch this next generation and actually see, okay, here's three people who actually have learnt from that and now they're taking it further, it was very, very clear. Um, and also on the topic of what you're discussing today, I think kind of um, their intellectual approach to the subject is like just mind-boggling, really. <laughs> These two are, are very special. And, and I, I mean, I'm, they're, you're both, I mean, they're both incredibly knowledgeable and, and well-informed and articulate and really so they should be. If you knew their mothers... And their aunties and and all of them. I mean, I was taking children to Marowina when they were there um, every day from the Skid Row families. We'll come back to this panel discussion in episode two and three of the series. But now, let's shift gears a little bit and head into the second panel discussion. We pick up this discussion with Shane Anderson. Shane produces the award-winning Think Digital Futures 
at 2SER Community Radio in Sydney. She's also worked at the ABC as a radio and podcast producer and studied anthropology and archaeology at the University of Sydney. Let's have a listen to Think Digital Futures. There's an understanding of time which is... I'm drawing on a philosopher here. Is that a, is that Yeah, a, which philosopher? Henri Bergson. So Bergson talks about time as something you can't measure in artificial... As you can hear, Shane interviews academics about their work. And I asked Shane about her show and what it's like to work with academics. ...by the time and place in which it is pinned. In fact, you can't pin it. Yeah, uh, so I produce a show called Think Digital Futures, um, and it gets support from UTS just up the road. Basically, they uh, a couple years ago decided to put funding into kind of a suite of podcasts that were designed to, uh, I guess, train their academics to be able to engage more with the public. So they started three shows, Health, Sustainability and Digital Futures. Uh, So it's in the third year now, and it's kind of changed a lot since it first started. Um, But basically, we still keep that ethos of being a vehicle for research communication. Um, The Think Digital Futures looks at mostly tech and ethics. um, And I kind of start with an idea, kind of similar to City Road. I start with with an idea, whether it's like 3D printed guns, um, like that one, which is about photography and time. I've looked at... uh, like the online sex trafficking bill that was recently put out by the states. And then I kind of search for an academic who can speak to it, normally one to three academic voices in the show. And we just expand the issue out and we talk for about 20 to 25 minutes, kind of going into the ethical debates, whether robots are taking all our jobs, all those kinds of things. Um, Yeah, and turn it into a a podcast. And what's it like working with academics? Because they're good at writing. Are they good at talking? Um, I'm going to say... I'm going to say they have stories to tell. Um, whether or not they're good at telling them is um, another issue. But I, I actually really love interviewing academics. Um, I'm kind of the type of person who corners someone at a party. Next up, we have a City Road podcast episode about planning the multi-species city with Associate Professor Donna Houston from Macquarie University. My name's Dr Donna Houston. I'm a senior lecturer in the Department of Geography and Planning at Macquarie University. If you walk down a narrow laneway in the vicinity of Martin Place and George Street in the Sydney CBD, you will encounter a canopy of 120 empty bird cages suspended between the towering skyscrapers. The installation is titled Forgotten Songs, It is designed by the artist Michael Thomas Hill, originally for a Laneway Arts Festival. It is now a permanent installation in Angel Place, commissioned by the City of Sydney. The installation explores how Sydney's fauna has evolved and adapted to coexist with increased urbanisation, inviting contemplation of the city's past, its underlying landscape and the sustainability issues associated with increased urban development. 
I last encountered Forgotten Songs a few months ago during lunchtime in the city. That was a City Road podcast episode on planning the multi-species city with Donna Houston. And I asked Justine Lloyd, a digital media scholar from Macquarie University, about the role of audio and storytelling in urban research. I think that's such a great example, that um, podcast and that recording there, because uh, Donna is a human geographer who's really interested in the Anthropocene and you get to really go on a journey with her through the city and to sort of, I find podcasting really interesting because it's something where you're alone, you're often listening alone, you're not really listening in this sort of environment where we're all listening together, you're listening by yourself and often you're the only person having that experience but in that um, travel through the laneway you actually feel like Donna's there with you taking you somewhere and I think that's a really interesting experience to have and um, as a researcher I think to be able to use different layers of meaning and to be able to layer that not just you know through publishing an article but through showing actually how that works in a multiple sort of space so there's a lot going on in that sound actually you know it starts with this quite gentle music and then it goes to quite melancholy music and then back to the music and then the sound of the birds mm. and right at the end we turned the bird into an alarm I right. don't know if you caught that yes as a kind of symbol to global warming yeah right yeah so there's a lot happening and to f- have that sort of some of it's operating at an unconscious level I think um, and to have that sort of experience of wandering in the city and the layering that happens there so um, I guess in a way maybe this goes back to older experiences we have of radio when radio used to be more of a kind of entertainment medium <laughs> that we used to listen to radio a lot more kind of moved away more into visual culture of TV and it's sort of bringing us back to that and mm-hmm. I think what's also really interesting about the academic knowledge that can be shared in that way is it's also harking back to things which um, early sociologists really wanted to do about the city. They really wanted to go and listen to people's experiences and have um, outside, you know, the university <laughs> go into the streets and listen to what was happening on the streets. And this kind of gives a way of realising that impulse, which is quite a, you know, goes back to the 20s and 30s, I think. What about the idea that we can use podcasting as an engaged research method, as a way to amplify the voices that are otherwise silent in the public debate? The next clip is from one of my favourite podcast projects. It's simply called Winston. Hi, I am a Fijian. I'm a storyteller. I am a Fijian storyteller, but today I bury a library of stories I'll never learn to retell. See, stories in my culture are like books. There are stories of our shape-shifting gods who take the form of sea creatures or birds so that children don't fear the sea or the jungle. There are stories of how a certain leaf Anya is a Vice-Chancellor's postdoctoral fellow at the University of Wollongong. I won the Vice-Chancellor's Fellowship uh, for a project called Climates of Listening, which is a project that takes place over five Pacific field sites, uh, Fiji, Kiribati, the Marshall Islands, and I'm about to go to Nauru and to Papua New Guinea, um, working on community-led responses to climate change. 
So the way the project was initially um, kind of born was because my my background is in political activism um, and in community radio, and I had a lot of contact with people from the Pacific that were sharing things about responses to climate change on social media that was very different to the narratives um, that were being reported in the, you know, popular media, I suppose. And these stories just kind of kept coming and they were really in contradiction um, to what the big media outlets were saying. And so I thought, well, given the experience that I have in community broadcast, it would be really great to actually work with um, environmental justice activists and organisations in the Pacific to amplify what they're saying and try to bring a little bit of multidimensionality um, to the media narratives because the kinds of media narratives that we get in Australia... Anya talks through the media narratives about climate change in the Pacific in the panel discussion in some detail and then returns to the Winston Project. ...climate change and what I discovered and what Winston, this particular piece, was a part of is actually there is a huge range, obviously, of stories that people are telling and experiences that people are having. And all that needs to really happen is for them to be amplified and given airtime. The way this piece came about was that I was working with um, a bunch of Indigenous poets and they had actually written poetry in response to Cyclone Winston in the aftermath of Cyclone Winston. And I'd been commissioned by um, a a contemporary museum in Spain to create a piece about uh, climate change and natural disaster. And so I thought it would be really great to do that collaboratively with people who are living through it rather than to just kind of write about it from a position of having no experience of it whatsoever. So we worked together. Um, They basically contributed their poems and we collaboratively kind of constructed a a larger story around it. And this particular iteration of it was just their poetic recordings, stripped of any of the sound design, stripped of any of the other narration, um, because I thought it was really important to just let the voices be themselves without any other kind of anything. At a couple of podcasting events, I played an excerpt from an interview with Liz Taylor about the ethics of podcasting the urban. Liz Taylor is a postdoctoral research fellow in the Centre for Urban Research at RMIT University. She's also the co-host of the podcast, This Must Be The Place. Do you consider yourself, when you're on the radio, a journalist or an academic? I think when we were doing the Triple R show, we were journalists with a particular field of expertise. And the way that community radio tends to work is that they discourage um, production values and it's more about talking and having people, you know, a very broad range of listeners. In the case of Triple R, they have several hundred thousand listeners, which is it's huge for a community radio station. And people are just listening to whatever is of interest. And then since moving to doing the podcast, which is downloaded by people that have an interest in that field, I've tended to approach it more as being an extension of my academic life, but without really having planned it, kind of doing research. But then you highlight in your paper the different, the 
how you're going to use it, etc. And when so, it comes so to- journalistic ethics are almost the inverse of academic ethics. So Pretty much. With, yeah. with a, when you're an academic, you say, I'm not going to tell anybody who you are. Yes. But when you're a journalist, you say, I'm going to tell everybody who you are. And that's why you're going to do it, right? Because yeah. you want everyone... Um, and if you're going to be uh, offer confidentiality on a podcast, you'd have to be doing stuff like that. Miles Herbert is a journalist and podcast maker with 2SER Radio in Sydney. He's also the executive producer of City Road Podcast. And if you haven't heard his Walkley award-winning podcast about Aboriginal deaths in custody called Breathless, you should. It's a heartbreaking but important piece of radio. And we talk about it in episodes four and five of this series. But at this point, I asked Miles about the ethics of academic podcasting, and then we hear from Shane. Yeah, and I also think when you talk about journalism ethics, you're talking about a very traditional fourth estate model of journalism that actually comes from a very Western-centric ideology. So when you think about journalism, and I think when society broadly reflects on journalism, we talk about it from a Western-centric viewpoint, and often the communities that journalists go into use those same Western-centric values of journalism and apply them to the communities that they then turn around and tell stories about. And I think that's just bad practice from the very beginning. So I think there's a, a, a much bigger conversation to have about what journalism ethics really is, because definitely in our own field as journalists, we constantly debate what those even are. Um, and I think, or even over the last two years, um, it has changed a lot. Yeah, I think it's a question of, of power. Um, I think journalists have more power than they than they realize in terms of representation. Um, and I think we, it's like a, a slow realization, I think, of maybe the past two decades, I think, of just how much power lies in representation. Um, and I think I do agree with you, Anya. I think there are problems with journalistic ethics in terms of uh, when you were saying it's a really collaborative process, you're always doing back and forth. In like, I was trained as a journalist. If someone I had done an interview said to me, can I hear it before it goes to air? You just shut down immediately. You're trained to be like, no, I'm the one telling the story. And I think these are the kind of conversations that we need to have as that relationship changes. I think that's really interesting, yeah. So that's a quick snapshot of our discussion about podcasting the urban. If you're listening from the City Road podcast feed, remember, we're only playing the first episode in this series in this feed. But you can find the link to the full Podcasting the Urban series at our website at cityroadpod.org. You can also find the series on any podcasting app. Just search for Podcasting the Urban. You're listening to City Road on 2SCR 107.3 FM in Sydney. I'm Dallas Rogers. See you later.